You may have heard a story of a book called The Case for Christ. The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. It also gave rise to a movie, The Case for Christ. It tells the story of this uh, journalist who was a skeptic, uh, very much an atheist, uh, working for the Chicago Tribunal, a newspaper there in Chicago. And during the 1970s, he, he has this uh, assignment, so to speak, to investigate who Jesus was. And so he starts to, uh, what then later becomes the effort of a book, he tells his colleague who he works as, as the newspaper with him, I want to disprove Christianity. Where should I start? And the colleague who is a Christian tells him, well, start with uh, resurrection, because if you disprove the resurrection, then you disprove Christianity. Then it's vain to believe in Christianity. But this Christian has a smile on his face because he knows that it is impossible to disprove it. But, however, this, this uh, Lee Strobel then starts an investigation by looking at archaeological, historical, uh, scientific evidence as he wants to disprove Christianity, but the more he gets closer and approaches, even his wife at the time starts to go to church and prays for his conversion, he comes to a point where all this evidence, but most of all, God transforms his heart. He gives him a heart of flesh to then see who Jesus is. He has kind of a, an encounter with Jesus that then leaves him transformed and He's a new man, and now he, he, this book became actually a book in defense of Christianity, rather than where he's set on his course to disprove Christianity. And friends, in many ways, this is what we want to see this morning from the words of our text, which are John chapter 1, verses 35 to 51, that I read for you in our scripture reading. John 1, 35 to 51, continues for us. Uh, the story that we started last week, if you remember, last week we looked uh, uh, to John the Baptist's testimony concerning Jesus. You remember that? Those who were here with us last uh, Sunday morning, we looked at John the Baptist's ultimate testimony. And if you recall, the ultimate testimony of John the Baptist was what? That we are not the Messiah. John the Baptist said, I'm not the Messiah, but then he says, uh, he is. Jesus is the Messiah. And so we left it there, hanging, on verse 35. And now there is a, a word of mouth, buds, we could say, as the followers of John the Baptist are spreading the news of this Messiah to other followers. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He gathers his followers to start his ministry. He's now 30 years old, Jesus and other Gospels do not record uh, the details that we, we read this morning. But it's, t it's telling you the first callings of the disciples. Jesus, uh, we, we, heard, we heard from other Gospels that he had started going around and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So Matthew 4.17 says. So now Jesus is beginning to disclose himself. You remember that? Uh, that was not yet the case, but it, through words and, and, and works, he discloses his identity. That we started weeks ago in John 1, 1, that he is the Son of God. And these are the first witnesses, the series of encounters that John the Baptist's testimony of last week now gives way to three encounters for us. Three encounters with the first disciples. As these uh, first disciples of Jesus come face to face with who Jesus is. And they begin this chain of followers. One after the other starts following Christ. They spread the news of what? That they have found the Messiah, the deliverer of Israel, the Savior has come. In fact, the key word there in our text, John 1, 35 to 51, is come and see. It repeated two times, come and see, you come and see. Or find, we have found the Savior. We have found the Lamb of God. We have found the Messiah. We have found the Son of God. And what we see is that Jesus encounters us in our specific circumstances, wherever we are in the path of our life. But He calls us to follow Him as Lord of our life. 
It sets in motion a, a, a direction that changes and transforms you forever. That is the path to true discipleship. So let's look at these three encounters that we'll see this morning. The first encounter is there recorded for you in verses 35 to 39. And that is the encounter with John the Apostle. Remember the, the confusion here because we got John the Baptist and we got John the Apostle. So too many names. But now we have John the Baptist telling John the Apostles and Andrew that Jesus is the Lamb of God. That is the first encounter. It is a passing from one teacher to a greater teacher. From one tutor to a greater tutor. From John the Baptist. The disciples of John the Baptist have to pass now to Jesus Christ as their followers. And this happened the next day. Verse 35 says, on the next day. And it's the third day of a sequence. of We started weeks ago. Remember last week is what we saw and now we come to the next day, the next week for us. The John the Baptist is like, in case you missed what I said last week, you remember what he said last week, behold the Lamb of God? He says it again. Behold the Lamb of God. Are you familiar with magnets that you put to your fridge and they immediately get attracted to iron? You're familiar with a metal detector when you go to custom in an airport. What does happen? As soon as the metal passes through the light switch goes on. The alarm goes on. And in this way, we could say that John the Baptist, it's because of the Holy Spirit, ever since when he was still in his womb, that he leaped when Elizabeth comes and Mary comes, he leaps from the womb all the way to here. Anytime he's exposed to the proximity of the Messiah... He, he gets excited. The Holy Spirit within him screams that this is the Lamb. See that? And so now this time, we hear on verse 35, the two of, uh, 37, the two disciples heard him speak. And they're like, Andrew, you have Andrew and John, the son of Zebedee, which will be the, the, the writer of this gospel. And, the, and they, they cannot ignore it anymore. As soon as they heard their, their teacher, John the Baptist, they were following him. There is an ongoing implication of John the Baptist saying that this is the Lamb of God. This is the Messiah. So he has to be the Messiah. If even John the Baptist, our, our, our master, tells us. And so what do they do? They follow Jesus. They leave John the Baptist. It is not Jesus who tells them to follow as other disciples... It is they of their own initiative through their own teacher, John the Baptist. They leave their beloved John the Baptist behind. And notice, John the Baptist doesn't even protest. Because as we saw last week and we will see in coming weeks, he must increase, I must decrease. He's willing to give up his own disciples. And the, and the disciples of John the Baptist, which is John the Apostle and Andrew are willing to do this. Why? Because they love the truth that John the Baptist was telling them over the person. And so if now the Messiah has come, they're willing to leave John the Baptist behind and follow Jesus Christ. Friends, have you come to this time and point of decision of following Jesus Christ in your life? Have you counted all things as lost in order to gain Christ. Because every single true believer of Jesus Christ has to come to that point of giving up and follow Jesus Christ. There's, there's a risk here of trying to still be in charge of your life. There's a risk here of still being walking in blindness and leading other blinds like we saw last week the religious leaders who come to Jesus and says, Who are you, right? But they are not coming to Him in faith. To follow Christ as His disciples, friends, require giving up allegiance to anything else. Anything else in your life. Possessions, relationships, even the dearest relationship. We see John the Baptist 
Everything must be subjected to the leadership of Christ in your life. I know that many people in this world let this call to, to follow Jesus Christ go unanswered. They say, sorry Jesus, I got I to gotta too many things to do. I, I got to buy this uh, piece of property. I got to go wor work and my stuff. I got to get married. I got to become so and so. And you know, those things are not necessarily a problem in themselves. But again, when like the rich young ruler, they have to go away sad because they have made that wealth a stumbling block to following Jesus Christ, to give allegiance to Him and Him alone. Or worse, they join the team like Judas Iscariot, but because of their love of money and idolatry, then they end up in ruin. And so when Jesus calls us, we cannot ignore, we cannot postpone, we cannot forget. We must answer the call. Jesus is looking for reliable followers that he, he wants true followers who give up everything and follow him. In fact, he warns us in other parts of the gospel, in Luke 14 in particular, Luke 14 Let's go there for a second. Luke chapter 14. The end of Luke 14. Verses 25 to 33. I'll just read that out loud. Now great multitude went with him. And they turned around and said to them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, listen to this, this is the warning. This is the warning of going through, it's like, I'm going to follow you Jesus, yeah, but check out. Intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish but what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able to with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the others still are a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. But look at verse 33. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciples. I mean, that's pretty radical, isn't it? Jesus is not saying that we... We now have to turn into monks and, 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 and live like uh, in charity. No, that's not the point. The point, however, that you handle everything in this world that is as if it's not yours. That now Christ is Lord of everything in your life. And you tear down that idol to follow Him. And you use everything you have as kingdom resources that are not your own. As Rick mentioned, Abraham's attitude was... In Genesis in the Sunday school this morning. So you must count the cost of following Christ before you find yourself later in ruin spiritually because you had not settled the issue with your sin, pretending to follow Him. But again, Jesus has kingdom work and He's calling out people to follow Him. Come and follow me. In fact, we have an example of two disciples who were already in the right path. Andrew and, and John, the writer of this gospel. However, they were now called to follow somewhere far greater, Jesus Christ. And you may be raised in a Christian home. You might have followed and listened to famous leaders and preachers. But to actually follow Jesus Christ and become his true disciples is a whole different thing. First thing that needs to happen is again, in the words of John the Baptist, that you behold the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. You behold Him. You behold the fact that you trust by faith in nothing you have done. Salvation is a free gift. However, it is always coupled with true repentance, turning away from your sins. And it's followed, as we see here, not by a special, oh, this is only for the, the guy who's a preacher. No, this, this, is, this is true Christianity, true discipleship. It is followed by a life of radical follower after Jesus Christ. That is the, 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 the essence of it. It is by grace and grace alone, yes. But it then 
you follow Jesus Christ, it costs you everything, and you're willing to lay it on the altar. Let's continue to our text. Our text continues in verse 36. You see there, it's kind of funny, Jesus turns around because he feels stalked, okay? He's like, who is this that you're following? It's like, what are you seeking? Later, he asks uh, the same, the, the disciples ask the same question to Jesus when the Samaritan woman is like, why are you talking with, with this Samaritan woman? Jesus is asking, what do you want? But that, that question has a deeper meaning. It's actually asking them, what are you after? What are you searching for? What is your, explain your wish. And if someone doesn't, you don't, you don't know, it's kind of stalking all over you, it's, it's behind your shoulder. I mean, it, it would be natural for you to, to turn around and like, hey, is everything okay? I noticed that in the South, by the way, because... We, we were in Kentucky. I was staring at someone at the gas station, and he, he like, so what's up? And it's like, oh, uh, I mean, I, I, there was nothing wrong, but I can't understand sometimes if you, if you feel stared, then it's, it's a legitimate question. But Jesus, however, knows everything. He knows everything. He doesn't need to ask this question. So it's almost, again, a soul-searching question. He knows what's about to take place, but he wants to... Ex to these followers to examine their desire to make sure that it's coming from a right commitment. And the response of the, 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 the two is it's very, it's very clear. And they call him rabbi, teacher. And by doing that, they are already sending their application to become his followers. And they, they respectfully address Jesus and says, Where are you staying? We want to move in with you. We want to become your disciples. We want you to be our master and teacher. And we are a, your apprentice. And what did Jesus answer? That key word, come and see. I'm not going to give you all the details of what's going to happen. But you come and see. You come and follow me, Jesus Christ says. Two times again, here in verse 46. But it is a condition Two actions, come and see, referring to the same thing. You come and see it for yourself, and you trust me as you follow me, Jesus Christ. The atmosphere, again, on this, this entire encounter is of an anticipation. This is already the first encounter, and there's almost like a discovery that will change you forever. It's like Copernican, when he, when he discovered, like, the, the, the earth is not the center of the universe, but the sun is. But when the, the, the gravity was discovered, or electricity was discovered, the discovery of this continent of America, or finding a gold mine. Friends, John is writing to you the first moment that he comes face to face with Jesus. It will change his life completely. And he tells them, you come and see. Now, we don't know where Jesus lived. It was a house, or a tent, or Andrew and John... However, have found the Messiah. Erica. That same word that we say, Erica or Erica, however you spell it. The one that we were long for so long. We waited for the deliverer of Israel. And to the point that John has to tell you the exact time of the day. Again, that verse, it was the 10th hour. 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And that is, it's too late to, for a Jewish man who is of the eve of the Sabbath to go back home. So they have to stay with, with, with Jesus that day. That's why the, the comment. But it's such a secondary comment. Why would, why would John, who is the author of this gospel, say the exact time of the day? Because this is the first moment he met Jesus Christ. This was the, like the day, the hour, the, the second where his life was completely changed forever. It was the tenth hour. You remember that day, don't you? You remember that moment. You remember the circumstances of the split second that Jesus Christ comes in. John's life was forever changed because he met the Savior. He met the one who says, come and follow me. I am the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. And I'm willing to take you in. We have explored this 
last week. What does it mean, Lamb of God? Well, let me repeat it to you until it becomes inscribed in your hearts. What does it mean that He's Lamb? That sacrificial system of the Old Testament tells us that we are sinful and sin require punishment. Sin require restitution. If your transgression has been done, God cannot cover it and put under the carpet. He has to pay. Someone has to be punished. Therefore, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. It's an invitation for those who are in need, who have transgressed against the Holy God, to come and see. With all your doubts, just as you are. And see the one who was slain for your sin. On that cross, the Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world. Listen, I've, I've repeated this word since I was a child in the Catholic Church. But they didn't mean, mean anything to me. I kept saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But until it comes into your heart, until you let the Lord Jesus Christ in, realizing that He never turns away those who turn to Him in faith. All that is required is trust, holy reliance on the fact that He paid for that sin. And you may find out that everything you've been looking for in your life, all the emptiness that is in your life, has been now covered by the one who offered His life at the cross. The perfect sacrifice. Able to completely cover all your sins. Past, present, future. Thoughts, deeds, works. Behold the Lamb of God. But do you come to this Lamb. Desiring to follow Him wherever He goes. Because that is what coming to Christ. The radical aspect of coming to Christ. Begins a radical transform. Coming and see the Lord Jesus Christ. And giving everything to Him. It is a beautiful picture, however, even as we, we go through this story of the humanity of Christ once again, that we saw in last week. That He came into this fallen world. We don't know where He lived. It was probably a humble abode like all of us. He walks the streets of Galilee. He talks with people. He was a humble carpenter. Nobody knew about Him for 30 years of His life. And all of this, that, that, is, that applies to us today. That He comes into your mundane. And he, he has this encounter that transforms your life forever. Let's go to the second encounter. Second encounter, verses 40 to 42. Andrew tell now Peter, Peter the Apostle, that Jesus is the Messiah. We now have an encounter that means to pass from one trade to a greater trade. From being a fisherman to be a fisher of men. Verse 40. Andrew passes the info along. A.W. Tozes says, only a disciple can make a disciple. We have here a family connection. Simon Peter. He has just come back from fishing. Probably very... You know, we know from the other gospel, it was not a good catch. There was incredible need of fish. And he was discouraged. What to do? I got to pay my bills. His life was only on the point of his nose. But then Andrew and John come say, hey, we found the Messiah. We have discovered the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed the leader who was promised in the Old Testament to deliver us from all sort of bondage and to be our Savior. Verse 42. And Simon is like, okay, big deal. I still got my empty nets. <laughs> but Jesus wants to pr prove to, to, to Simon Peter that uh, of who he, he is, his prophetic gift. And so he goes to Peter. Before even Peter introduces himself to Jesus, what does he say? Verse 42. Simon, you are Simon. You are the son of John. I don't even... It's like, who is this guy who comes to me? He doesn't even know my name. Not only that, but he tells something about Simon's future. He says, you are Simon, but you shall be called Cephas. 
Whenever the Bible gives new names, is a new character. But also pointing to the authority of the person who is giving the name, Jesus Christ. And that name, Peter, Sifa, perhaps Jesus had picked a stone right there on the shore as, as Peter is returning from fishing. Whatever the circumstance, this, there is a play in words between the nickname of Simon that Jesus gives him and the role that he will have in the church as a prominent role. However, not like the Catholic Church, like the Pope or uh, above the other apostles. Matthew 16, 18 says, You are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Again, we know from all the gospel that this was then led to Jesus challenging Peter to go out to fish and get a miraculous catch to the point that Peter, it's like, this is, this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. And he, what? He feels convicted of his sin. What does he say? Depart from me. I am a sinner. I am in front of God right here. And I see exposed all my sin. Get away from me. I am not worthy of you. But it is out of that humble humility of a sinner that comes and says, I am unworthy that Jesus Christ actually goes after and saves him and leads him to then give up fishing and begin fishing souls of men. God enters Peter's world and he encourages him to trust that he will provide for all of his needs. That all he has to do is to follow him, give up this fishing, give up this trade. I got something for you far greater. And that is the souls of men to gather, to come and follow the Messiah. That he can come and take you and make you a pillar in his house. The Messiah, a deliverer. But not from the slavery of Rome, not from the slavery of your debts, Peter. It is a different kind of slavery. It is not a political or economic slavery or taxes. This has to refer to your spiritual slavery, which you are slave to sin. You give in to sin. You are unable to give up sin. You love sin. I came to call you away from that. I'm not calling you to have a religious opinion about myself. Or I'm not even primarily wanting you to have a, a, a nice lifestyle, Peter. I am calling you to a relationship with me. I'm calling you to trust me as master and lord of your life. To encounter me and follow me. When you come to Jesus Christ, friend, you become a missionary. It's not the job of... Somebody else over there in the wilderness, in the, in the mission field. Yes, praise God for that. And we pray for, for the advancement of the kingdom there. But your life begins a mission. And that mission begins at home. And you know, today I know it's Father's Day. And so my word goes to all the fathers in this room. To press you that you are supposed to lead your children to the Messiah. Toward Jesus in everything you do. And friends, as we pray, share the gospel, even our, our unsafe family members, even in our brokenness, that it looks like it's impossible to fix. There is an encouraging factor here. Andrew is the first person to make a convert. Right? And God sees, in the case of Peter, beyond our limited eyes, beyond the empty net, beyond the stubbornness of, of, of who he is, and we'll see it throughout the gospel. Christ comes and he looks what the circumstance can become and not what it is at the moment. That is a great encouragement even uh, for our church. What we see with our eyes now is not what it can become through the eye of faith and the eye of God. What we see in the brokenness of the person that is like he is, he's never going to come to the Lord. God can. That relative, that friend, that unconverted person. Your job is to share this good news. That you yourself have found the Messiah. And Jesus and his word will do the rest. Let's go to the third encounter, which is another interesting encounter. Verse 43 to, 50, to the end of the text. Uh, 51. Here we have the passing from one opinion to a greater opinion. The opinion of Nathaniel. Interesting story here. Because his opinion was, 
What was his opinion? Nah, there's no good that come out of Nazareth. And then he switches to another opinion and he's like, you are the son of God, right? Let's look, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decides intentionally to go to Galilee. More disciples need to be called. More recruits for this mission. And he comes to, and he found Philip. And he tells him what? That, that key word throughout the Gospels, follow me. Join me as my disciple. Because watch out, Jesus is looking out for followers. That's what he needs. And as a church, our desire is, should not be to just sit and listen, but to actively serve him in the daily life of the church and to be discipled and make disciples. This is the task that we share what we learn to others. That our text shows us a network that develops from the life of the follower to someone else, to someone else. This elaborate wire that are passing the baton. Can you envision this entire area of people passing along the gospel to the community as everyone does their part? But again, look at the text. The same town, our text uh, says, verse 43 to 46, that he was, Philip was from the same town of Peter and Andrew. So they had passed along with each other. They were probably neighbors. At this point, P Philip passes the word to his friend Nathaniel. and says, Nathaniel, we have found the one in, to whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote about it. All the scripture, all the Old Testament. The coming son of God. Nathaniel, this is a moment of revelation. However, there's a small detail that I wanted to mention to you, Nathaniel. He's from Nazareth. Nazareth? Are you, are you kidding me? Nazareth. Nazareth is a small town without prominence. It doesn't even appear in the Old Testament. Okay? If you're in this expectation era, you expect him to come from Jerusalem, from maybe one of the religious leaders down there. He, you know, this town, Nazareth, didn't even have a, a good reputation at the time. And he's the son of Joseph, uh, Nathaniel. Joseph, uh, yeah, that, that Joseph, the humble carpenter from Nazareth. And since Nathaniel comes from that area, he's a Galilean. He says, this is, again, the funny part of our text. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, can anything good come out of Memphis, Tennessee? We know how there's the highest crime rate in the country. Memphis, Tennessee has like the bad, the worst reputation. And so... All the natives are moving out here or East Tennessee because it's like, yeah, can, and, and that was Nazareth at the time. I mean, it wasn't crime rate. It was more like, it was unpolished dialect maybe. They had a dialect that people didn't like or a lack of culture or irreligion, moral laxity, whatever it is. The point of Nathaniel is, can anything good come from that town? Let alone the Messiah, the deliverer of Israel. It's such an insignificant place. There's such an unbelief in Nazareth and about the reputation of Nazareth. And so, this cannot be. I hope you're kidding, Philip. But he says, no, I'm not. Isn't that the way we look at life? With human prejudice, we don't believe that God can use the unusable. We actually don't believe that God can, we doubt that things can change. We stick to what it's only humanly possible. And Jesus has to come and meet us precisely in the midst of such skepticism. He has to humble our pride, destroy our worldly categories, and create new faith. Isn't that what God does? But again, Philip's answer is just this, this one he heard from his master. He said, you come and see. You just come and see and witness with your own eyes. Because if you come, it will change everything. That is the way we do. As we evangelize, we say, tell about Jesus to people. And how are we telling about it? Not focusing on, on information, but this is a person that can change your life. Not details and explanations about things that are non-essential. We tell them that this Jesus Christ, you come and see. 
with expectation, friend. Because deep unbelief is the problem that we have to surmount. And we, we must believe that this can change. Because it's the truth. As it changed our life, it changed other life. Look at verse 20, 47 now to 49. Jesus sees Nathaniel. He's coming, press smiling. Jesus knows what he's about to do. And he says out loud, here, here comes an Israelite, a true Israelite, worthy of the name Israel. Israel. You know, Israel was the name that God had given to Jacob, right? After he wrestled with the angel at night, he says, you are Israel now. So from deceiver, he had to become a, one who overcomes. But God turned him and, and it says, no deceit, there's no deceit. The name Israel was deceiver, Jacob, right? So, and he looks at Nathaniel and he says, here comes a guy who has no duplicity, no treachery, no falsehood. Whatever we know about Nathaniel, we know that he's a truth teller. He's an honest and real man. There is nothing false in him. This is how Jesus, knowing the hearts of men, who we'll see in coming weeks, he knows Nathaniel inside out. The name, name Nathaniel means the gift of God. However, you know that Nathaniel had just bad-mouthed Jesus by saying, Can anything come good out of... But it, However, overall God knows that he is a man with complete integrity. That there is no false bone. And so at this point Nathaniel is a little bit puzzled and says, How do you know me? Have we met before? Where did you get that idea? I mean, you don't know me. How is it that you know those things about me? And this is the surprising answer of Jesus. Verse 47 to 49 again. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. You're like, oh, okay. What's, what's the big deal about this fig tree? Well, you know what's the, the big deal about this fig tree? Is that there was nobody else uh, under that fig tree. Nathaniel, we don't know the detail about this, but he probably was having a private moment of devotion somewhere out in the woods, alone from everyone, probably just before this meeting took place. And wherever he was, Nathaniel was alone, and he was meditating probably at the lowest moment of his life. I was talking with one of you, and he, he was telling me that he still remembered the day of that lowest moment under a tree where his life, he finally gave up control and he says, Lord, please come and save me. Okay, he, this is the fig tree experience. Nathaniel perhaps was wondering what is the purpose of life. Nathaniel perhaps was wondering that secret moment what to do in his future. He was probably praying, pouring out his heart to God Bleeding for a breakthrough and waiting for an answer. But that answer had not come. But he was praying to God. And while he was praying in that fig tree, he was actually addressing Jesus Christ. Who was listening to his prayer. Who knew exactly the words. Whatever experience he had in that moment. Jesus says, I saw you. And this is more than just seeing someone on the street like the disciples see. Jesus, Christ is proving to Nathaniel that he knows everything about Nathaniel. Before, I saw you. I was there. I listened to your prayer, uttering the secret. And Nathaniel, he doesn't take two moments. He doesn't take, I'll think about this. He doesn't start to investigate or whatever. He just falls down and worship. He says, you are the son of God. You are this, the king of Israel. He has a positive faith to the one who knows such secret details of his life. This little hint did it. He worshiped. The one who has proven to him that this is God himself is coming to me. All the doubts about Nazareth being such a small, lowly town doesn't matter anymore. They're gone. 
Friends, here we have the proof that Jesus is the Son of God. He knows all things. Beyond the appearance, He knows what is in the heart of every single man and woman in this world. He doesn't, he doesn't need a camera or a recorder. He knows everything about you. Every single thing that you, not even your spouse knows about, Jesus Christ knows it. He knows your disappointments. He knows your desires, your personal engagement. And that's, that's a comfort to anyone who knows Jesus Christ. It's a comfort. It's a deepest comfort to know that he, he knows about it. But the person who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ savingly, the fact that Jesus Christ knows everything about me, oh, it scares the, out of me. It scares me. I am in terror. I am terrified. Why? Because he knows about my sin. He knows my true identity. And so this encounter with Jesus should lead you either to believe in Jesus Christ, give up control, open your life trusting in him by faith, or, and then beginning a process of discipleship when you obey Jesus Christ you don't pretend that he doesn't know anymore you don't act in a way that dishonor him or you remain in your unbelief and he'll get you sooner or later friends we are called by the Lord Jesus and I know that we don't have that gift. We, we cannot see in the people's hearts. Because none of us will be able to bear, I'm sure, if we knew everything about people. But you cannot escape Jesus. You may be able to escape that co-worker. You may be able to escape that situation. But you're not going to escape him. And so don't run away from him. Surrender to him now. Jesus knows all about it. And today he's calling out to your attention. So what? So that you follow him. I know you. I want you to myself. Come and see. Follow me. And can Jesus say the same thing that he says about Nathaniel in this text? That there's no deceit within us. No trickery. No doing bad things behind the back. No saying one thing and doing another. And that, that is what God wants to use. And if that's not the case, then it is time for us to truly repent, to turn away from even cynicism and unbelief, turn away from any deceit and embrace Jesus, knowing that he sees everything, but also knowing that his grace comes even at the lowest point of your life. He hears, knows your prayer, but he calls you to bow down to his lordship, it says, Jesus, I want to follow you, but let my words be matched by my actions. Confess that he is who he is. Understand that you cannot but follow him. That all your doubts, all your resistance, all your holding on to that sin should give way to follow him. And begin a new beginning of obedience. That's the right response to the Savior like Nathaniel. Quick faith. Lots of us struggle with for for months and years, and we don't want to give up. But Nathaniel, immediate, and uh, look at the response. This is the, the ending of my sermon. I'm sorry for going forward, but so much good things here. Verse 50 to 51. Uh, jo uh, Jesus now tells Nathaniel that you're going to pass from one miracle to a greater miracle. Is from this simple prophecy to actually seeing the Son of God ascending. And that's the most beautiful part of our text. We conclude this section with a summary. Christ says, you believe when I, saw, when I, when I said I saw you under the, the fig tree? That's a small thing in comparison to the greater things and far more greater things you will see. Later John will continue to use this comparative language. There are far greater things. It's like reading a book. When you begin to read a book and you like it, the first pages, it's almost like saying, you haven't seen anything. That's what we are doing here. 
We haven't even seen anything. We are just starting the Gospel of John. This is just chapter 1. Brace yourself for more. You will have greater proofs of the fact that I am the Son of God and the King of Israel. In fact, Jesus says, he concludes here in verse 50, Truly, truly, I say to you, and whatever is saying those things, he's about to say something crucial. He's saying to Nathaniel, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Remember what I told you? Here's an Israelite where there's no deceit. Named Jacob was deceiver. And now Jesus say, just like Jacob the deceiver, you will see the ladder open. But this time it will not be the ladder there where the angels were ascending and descending. There was some, somebody else who will be Jesus Christ, the Son of God, after He has completed His ministry. He started His ministry over here, the moment He meets Nathaniel, and all the way to the end where he, he, he will ascend to heaven. And we see this in Acts of the Apostle. And surrounded by the angels and the glory of God. This is what Nathaniel will experience and see before our eyes. The Son of Man. With all His authority will go back to His glory after He has given His life as the Lamb of God on the cross. The Jacob's ladder. Nathaniel. Do you realize what's in store for you? Ultimately, Jesus will depart from Nathaniel. But you will, have, you will see greater things than these. So Nathaniel, come. And we come and follow the Son of God. That He can quench all of our doubts. Oh, can anything good from Nazareth? To the ascending to heaven. Great and greater wonders. Quench our doubts. It's like Nathaniel, our faith always goes in steps. Like a ladder. We need some help. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. First we doubt. Then Jesus shows us something. And we do the next step. Next step and the next step. Way out of our sin until finally faith is created. True, genuine faith is created in your heart. And you just jump. And trust. Give up. And follow Jesus Christ. And then God shows you something far greater. But God has always to increase your faith. To guide it. To expand the limited and short-sighted view of your faith. From year to glory, there's work and muscles to be developed. This, however, is just the beginning for you. And for the Christian, there's always greater things to come. Can you imagine? The glory that awaits everyone in this room who truly knows the Lord Jesus. That we shall see Him in all of His glory of heaven with a new body. Where all the sickness is gone. Where all the brokenness that we see here is gone forever. This is what is in store for you if you truly have faith. But that faith has to be created in your hearts. And when you meet the Son of God, friend. When you truly meet the Son of God, your, your life cannot be the same. That's why people who claim to believe in Jesus. But their life be, remains completely unchanging. Completely unmoved. They don't have time to pray. They don't have time to do anything with this Jesus. You're telling me that you know Him and you have not been transformed? That your life is just continuing as it is and you, you've been part of the Bible Belt. You, you've been a nominal Christian all your life. But where is this encounter with Jesus Christ? Where is it? They haven't truly met the Savior because you cannot. It's like me meeting my wife. And I'm like unchanged. The moment I, I fell in love with her, the moment I it transformed my life, my thoughts, the way I was talking throughout time, you're always talking about Heidi, what is happening here? Your life has changed. And now it becomes a driving force. And how much more when we talk about, I, I claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't remain unchanged when you meet the Lord Jesus. And my plea to you this morning, friend, is to turn to Him, to, to have this uh, true encounter. It might be a small faith, but let it be a quick faith like Nathaniel. 
or a stubborn faith like Peter. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yes, it is costly leaving behind things like John. Whatever your case, friends, you come and see and follow Jesus Christ. And Christ gives you the promise as you do so. He gives you that if you're a true, true follower of Jesus Christ, you will see greater things. You will do greater things than even the things that he has done. Even the, 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 the Savior, he, he says that. Do you believe that? Does Theta Baptist Church believes that? Or we are stuck in provincialism like Nathaniel. Can anything good come from there? He refuses to see the glory or the greatness in anything too familiar, too closer home, too small town like Columbia, Tennessee, you could say. Nothing good can come out of Memphis, Tennessee or some, something even greater can come. And you know what that is? It's the kingdom of God. As souls come to know the Lord Jesus, I don't want to keep you further, but I just want to conclude that this is a life changer encounter that we have seen this morning did you have this life-changing encounter with the lord jesus christ and who is this jesus we saw we we see so many titles he's the lamb of god the rabbi the messiah the son of god the king of israel he comes he tells you follow me give your life to me Friends, what we need is not to have teachers or system of theology. You know, yes, we are reformed, but I want you to know, we, our ultimate goal is to follow Jesus. To see Him as a work. Same Jesus who was ascended into heaven. The same Jesus who welcomes in His presence. Who knows us intimately. The same Jesus who blows our expectations away. Who quenches our doubts. He sees your potential. When we see failure and we see our meager present condition and we, we say, this is all I got, God can transform that. He knows your longing. He knows, he knows the secret moments of your life. And He's ready to show great wonders. And we, we must share those wonders with others as we share the gospel. The people we share the gospel, we, are we eager with this expectation to tell them about this Jesus that we found. How many can say that that's where we go around? That might be right there, the test. That you have encountered Jesus in His Word this morning. Well, you don't, you don't stop there. You say, believe. Try. Try. Try Him. Try the joy of meeting the Son of God. That this is just the beginning of a lifetime. And you hear his voice as he says, come and see. Come as you are.